Good evening, brothers and sisters and dear friends, and welcome again to our Bible study. I want to talk to you today about the word virtue or a virtuous life. And in fact, I want to talk to you about the virtues of God. As you know, we are studying uh, as a disciples, of course, and we're looking at God and we ask the question, what is God like? And today we're looking at the virtues of God. This is so that if somebody asks you the question, that you can talk about the virtues of God. Virtue is a behavior showing a high moral standard. Another definition for virtue is the quality of being morally good. If you think about somebody, a person, and you want to say that they are a virtuous person, you're in fact saying that that person is morally good. The word for virtue comes from the Latin word vir, V-I-R, and this means man. And at first, virtue meant to be manliness, or it means to be a man of valor. But over time, uh, it settled into the sense of moral excellence. So if you think about somebody in a Christian sense, and you say it's a person, a virtuous person, you would say he is, he's got excellent moral values. And this is what the word settled on. The Christian definition for virtue has been defined as the conformity of life and behavior. So think about these two concepts here. It is life and behavior and those conformities to the principles as described in the Bible. So that's a very good definition that I came across. It is the conformity of life and of your behavior as ascribed through the principles in the Bible. Virtue is then a practical attitude and the habits that you exist and adopt it in obedience to these principles in the Bible. So the Bible actually, it tells us to be virtuous. We need to be morally excellent. We need to be morally good. And, and this is described to us. Uh, take 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, for instance. Listen as Peter talks to us here. He says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So Peter says, the faith that we've got, we need to add virtue. It's something that you can do if you can add it to. So in fact, your life and everything that you do needs to be of moral excellence. This is what he's saying, or morally good. He says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Self-control in itself is one aspect of being virtuous. Self-control, to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Wonderful. Peter talks to us, he says to us, you need to add these things. These things is, is things that you can have control over. You can aspire to live a morally excellent life. Paul writes to the church in Philippi the same thing. He puts it to us in this way, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, I always like it when Paul says, finally, 
Because you always have to read before the word finally and find out what Paul was saying uh, to come to this point that he can talk to you and me. And he says, finally, he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, there is our word again. In other words, Paul says, if there's anything morally good, if there's anything morally excellent, if there is anything praiseworthy, he continues, meditate on these things. Now, what does Paul mean when he says meditate? He means take time out and think and reflect on these things. It is so easy to reflect on things around the world and to have talking points about other things. But Paul says to us, we are called to be virtuous and these things will help us to be virtuous. Look at the list that he's given us there. Things that's true in a world where there's so many lies going on. We need to think about the things that's true. And may I say, you will not find these things which are true in the world. You will only find it in the Word of God. So the more you open up the Word of God and meditate on the things which is true, this will add to your life virtue. Um, he, think, he says things that are just. We're living in an unjust world. But we need to think about the things that is just. So let's turn our eyes then onto God. And look at God's virtues. And just by the start of this, I want to say that there is nothing in this world that, that can, can compare to God. So if you want to look at a person as a standard, as a source of truth to being virtuous, I can't think of anybody but God. So as we span your eyes to God and look at Him, we find a few virtues which is only ascribed to God and sets Him apart. Well, in fact, the first virtue that I want to touch on is the word holiness. Holiness. And this word means set apart. And God in His holiness is set apart from everything in the world. He's set apart from man. He's set apart from nature. He's set apart from the universe. How big is God? I love it. And He is a holy God. Now, we open up in Isaiah to read about this holiness. The prophet Isaiah came into, into direct contact with God. And we learn a lot about God's virtue in this passage. So follow with me in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Immediately, I get excited. Because doesn't matter what happens in the world and what's going on in your world, there is God on the throne looking down upon your life. But let me continue. He says, I saw God sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his rope filled the temple. I had a sermon that I preached about the rope uh, when the lady came and she touched Jesus' rope, his clothing. Power went out from him. 
when uh, David went in, in the cave and he came to Saul, King Saul, he cut off a piece of, of the train of his rope. That's the authority. So this passage says, when the authority of God entered the temple, when the train of his rope, the authority entered the temple, what happened? This man tells us. He says, it filled the temple in verse 2. He says, above it stood seraphim. These are angels. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. What an amazing picture. Now, uh, he says in verse 3, And one cried to the other. Okay, so the one was crying to the other. And what did they cry? And they said, Holy, holy, holy is the, the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the other one will look at the other one. And you know what he will say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then again, the one will look back at the other and he will say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is exciting scripture verse there. You say, but we're living in a time now in the year 2020 where there's a, there's a pandemic going on and how can the glory of God fill the earth then? Well, I've got it on, on factual evidence that there's angels who say that the glory of God fill, fill the whole earth. It is your and my work to search for the glory of God. It fills the whole earth. But let me get back to these angels. While I started this Bible study, when you are going to bed tonight and sleep, eight hours, I don't know, maybe six hours, maybe ten hours for some of you, when you wake up in the morning and you get ready for the day, when you sit down and you eat your dinner, your breakfast, your lunch, when you sit down and you have a cup of coffee, when you open up the Bible and you do study, you know what happens? Those angels are standing there and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is marvelous. I think when we get to heaven, we will look at God and we will say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We will be Captivated by His holiness. They never tire. Day after day. And I believe, I believe it's every time they look upon God and they see Him. They see, see a new attribute which you and I haven't even known of yet. And all only word that can come out of their mouth is holy. Oh, the holiness of God. So wonderful, so powerful. And the word holiness means to set him apart. The angels is telling us in this passage that he is set apart. Three times they call on that. Three times. That is who God is. He is holy. He's not trying to be holy. He is holy. Now let's look what happens when sinful man comes into touch or into the presence of this holiness. It is important for us to know this. 
Because I see the arrogance of man these days manifesting itself in many churches. When people make the holiness of God cheap, they trample over the holiness of God in the pursuit for money or for fame or for a following. I don't read any of that in the Bible. But I read this when man comes into the presence of God's holiness. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 4 And the posts of the door were say shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. There were no smoke machines there. This is smoke. Same happened in the Old Testament when God went into the, the tent of gathering and, and a, a cloud will come down and cover it. People will know that's the presence of God. What happened? When God came into that place, He said in verse 5, So I said, this prophet of God said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you come into the presence and I come into the presence of that holiness, we see ourselves for what we are. Unclean. Unclean in the presence of God. Unclean. No, we cannot. We are not allowed to trample the holiness of God. And let it be known that God will share His glory with no man. Glory belongs to God. One of His virtues is holiness. My dear friend, when you pass from this life into the other life, as sure as I'm sitting here tonight, you will come into the presence of holiness like you've never seen before. Never underestimate this virtue of God, the holiness of God. He says to you and me, be holy for I am holy. So let's look at another virtue of God. And this follows straight off the back of holiness. And that is righteousness. If holiness is the nature of God, then righteousness is the way that God deals with man. Because if you think about righteousness, this virtue is not God living this life. It is us living this life. The definition for righteousness is to live a life acceptable to God. And the Bible talks about two kinds of righteousness. Man's righteousness, when I will live a life acceptable to me. And God's righteousness, when we need to live a life acceptable to His principles in the Bible. And God is a God of righteousness. God is righteous. We live this life. And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4, where the Bible says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. Think about that. To live a life acceptable to God. All His ways are just. So if you want to live this life of righteousness, all your ways needs to be just. But oh man, we fail. Often we fail. 
This is why this is a virtue of God set apart from man. He says, all his ways are just. A God of truth or without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 19 verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous altogether. We need to live this life. But we are talking about the righteousness of God. That is our standard. If you want to call it the golden rule, that is the golden rule. You say, but preacher, where do we find this? Well, the principles is again in your Bible. I'm only reading it from a screen, but I would love to open up the Bible. And I, I pray and hope that you are sitting open with your Bible and open up in these scripture verses and underline them. And pray and think about them and meditate upon them. Because it's only, it's only then when the word of God become part of you that you will live this righteous life. So we see that God is holy. We see that he's righteous. And now we look at him as a truthful God. In fact, <clears throat> I say that wrong. Because God is truth. He's not trying to be truth. Truth is a virtue of God. Truth is, a truth is a fact or a reality. It's not a lie. It's not something we think. It's not our thoughts about it. It's a fact and it's a reality. And God demonstrated this to us so many times over and over. I haven't got time. I will keep you up here the whole time if I read you every single scripture. But let's go to John 17, 17, one of my favorite. In John 17, 17, Jesus, the whole chapter, Jesus prays to God. And then he comes down to verse 17 and he says, he uses this word, sanctify them. The word sanctify means to set them apart. He says, by your truth. So if God needs to sanctify us by his truth, then what is truth? He answers it in John 17, 7. He says, your word is truth. It's not trying to be true. Your word. We've got the word of God today in our hands. The Holy Spirit makes it alive to us. This word will set you apart. This is the virtue of God. The truth is the virtue of God. John writes about this truth again in his letters. When, it, when we turn now to 1 John chapter 5, the letters in, in the back of the New Testament, and in verse 20 we read the following, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. John speaks here as if he's knowing it. He says, we know. What do we know, John? He says, and we know that the Son of God has come. Who's the Son of God? Jesus Christ. He says it's certain that the Son of God has come and that He gave us understanding that we may know Him who is true. That you may know Him, not hear about Him, not talk about Him, but know Him. I love the Word of God. He says that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Fabulous. So the virtue of God is 
He's holy, he's righteous, and he's true. So what is next then? Another virtue of God is God is love. In fact, again, he's not trying to love, but it is his very nature. God is love. Let me read it to you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For the love of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You see how many times John uses this word know? My question to you right now is, do you know him? And if you do know him, don't turn away. He says, it. let us love one another. For the love of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is the test. Let's call it the asset test of a true Christian. Love. Not how much you know your Bible. Not how great you can preach. Not how great you can pray. Not how much money you give away. But the true test of a child of God is love. The true test whether you know God is love. And remember what I said before. Love is not an emotion. It is a choice. It is a decision. It is a commandment. But let's continue in verse 8. He says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And did you know that He showed us this love? He showed it to us. In Romans chapter 5 verse 7, he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. So Paul, uh, the Paul writes here to the church in Rome, he says, If you've got a righteous man and you ask anybody in the crowd to die for his sins or for his penalty, he says, scarcely somebody will come out to do that. Maybe somebody would, but it's very scarce. He says, but yet perhaps for a good man, let's say there's a righteous man, and, and, and people say, no, no, no. What for a good man? If you give me the choice between a good man and a righteous man, I would say, yes, yes, I'll go much rather die for the righteous. But ah, that's not where he stops. Because he says, yet perhaps for a good man one would die, would dare to die. But God... Oh, I love that word. There's a good sermon in that. But God demonstrated His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is absolute sacrificial love. Think about this. He portrayed for us three people. The righteous, the good, the sinner. Maybe for the, if you give me the opportunity, if you give me the choice, if I have to, if, if I really have to die for one of these three. Sinner, no way. Good man, righteous man, I'd pick him. But oh no, not so with God. He looks at it and he goes, while we were still sinners, this little guy over here, this one which everybody pulled up their noses, this one where everybody turned their backs on. This sinner, who is you and me, it's you and me, this sinner, he says that God demonstrated his love towards us, that he died for us, while we're still sinners. That is the virtue of God. 
One more, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. How wonderful that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a provision for our sins. The definition for love is to benefit others at the expense of self. God sent His Son, benefited us at His expense. So we find that God is a holy God and, and he's, he's absolutely holy. We find He's a righteous God, truth and love. So what more? Absolutely the grace of God. Who can forget the grace of God? It is but for the grace of God that I'm sitting here talking about Him. It is but for the grace of God that you are listening to this. It is but for the grace of God that you are still continuing while everything is falling apart. The grace of God. How marvelous and how wonderful. A definition for the grace of God is getting something we did not deserve. Something we did not deserve. What is that? It is life. But we see that our sin is an offense to God. Our sin is an offense to God. And we deserve punishment. If somebody has stolen, you know, taken something, and if they lie, we all would agree if somebody steals and robs the bank, they need to be punished. If somebody murders somebody else, they need to be punished. If somebody tells a lie, we tell our children this, they need to be punished. Who are you and me to get away with sin? There is a punishment upon our, upon our shoulders. The sin I'm talking about here is the sin that started in the Garden of Eden. Our great-grandfather Adam, you remember him? He passed that over generations and every single child who's born is born under that punishment. And that is the offense to God and we deserve this punishment. And we get this punishment in the form of death. The Bible talks about a second death and an eternal damnation in, in a place called the lake of fire. I know a lot of people don't like this word, but it's a, it's a, it's a true place. It's meant for Satan and his cohorts. The lake of fire was never made for you and for me and for man, but there will be a lot who's going to have occupation there. So, so your sin is an offense to God. But praise God, brother and sister. He elected to show us grace. That's what he chose instead of punishment. He came and he sent his son to show us grace. The Bible says there that in John, he was full of grace and full of glory. And yet they rejected him. Titus chapter 2 verse 1, and I think you're going to love this verse. If you open up in your Bibles there, Titus, he writes there, he says, For the grace of God, the grace not of man, not of an institution, but the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So what do we learn straight away from this verse? The grace of God brings salvation. Sin brings punishment. The grace of God brings salvation. Can you see the opposites there? I thank God 
for his grace, which brought salvation to my life. Verse 12, he says, teaching us. So grace brings salvation and grace teaches us. Follow your Bible. It's right there. He teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age. Isn't that the things we touched on already tonight? To be morally good? Isn't that the, the definition for virtues? Virtuousness? And here he says it. He says the grace teach us to do these things. To be virtuous. He says in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace brought salvation, grace teaches us, and grace keeps us expecting Jesus Christ's appearance. This is what grace do. And God gave it to us. It's His virtue. It's who God is. He chose that above punishment. Let me say about punishment something after this. Who gave himself out to us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. So if I say that God chose for us salvation and grace, he doesn't want to punish us. But guess who chose to be punished? It's you yourself. By denying God. By denying his grace. Grace is getting something you did not deserve. It's like a gift. It's a, if, if I give you a gift, you did not deserve that gift. You're not paying for it. I'm giving it to you. And this is what God gave us. So punishment is something you choose yourself above, above the grace of God. So we've got holiness, righteousness, truth. These are all virtues of God. And we've got the grace of God and we've got love. And let me finish tonight with another wonderful virtue of God. And that is the word mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. How wonderful is the mercy of God. If grace means to get something we did not deserve, mercy then means not getting what we deserve. And what is that? Punishment, death, the second death, damnation. We're not getting that. And this is so wonderful, the two of them, grace and mercy. I cry out for God for mercy. God, don't give me what I deserve. Give me that life. And again, we turn to Titus chapter 3 verse 4. He says, but when the kindness... And the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, not by works of righteousness which we have done, which you and I have done. Look, the Bible says that our best works is like filthy rags. And that word there for filthy is not just, you know, something, you know, dirty on your clothes and, and some stain. No, no, no. That word there for filthy rags. It's a little bit more gross, uh, bad. You can go and find the word for yourself. He says, not by the works we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his mercy. You see, he puts works 
against mercy. Our works that we do deserves punishment. We deserve punishment. But mercy says, I'm not going to give you punishment. This is what the scripture verse says. He says he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. How wonderful is the virtue of God, his holiness, his righteousness. And you're right, I'm repeating it because I hope it sticks in your mind when you think about God. His truth, His love, um, His righteousness, I've said that, his, his grace and His mercy. So this completes now in our study to look at God and to ask the question, what is God like? If somebody comes across you and asks you to talk about God, you are equipped now if you follow through these studies and I implore you to go back and listen to them again so that it become general knowledge for you, not familiarity, but general knowledge to you so that you can talk to people about this. If, if they talk about you can certainly talk to, to them about the nature of God. Remember, God is spirit. And remember that God is one. We've gone over these things. That is who God is. This is his nature. We discussed his triunity, the trinity of God. Three in one. God is not the Son. God is not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. But, but we serve a God who is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. This is who God is. That is what God is like. And then you can talk about his attributes. You remember that. You can talk about the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere at the same time. And that should encourage you and make you grow as a child of God. He's everywhere at the same time. He's, he's om, om, omniscience. He knows everything. That's what it means. He's omniscience. And then omnipotent. He's an omnipotent God. What does that mean? He's an all-powerful God. There's no power in this whole universe that is more powerful than God. He knows everything about you. He knows everything and He's all-powerful. And He's everywhere. That's wonderful. And then what about His immutability? He's an immutable God. What does that mean? He doesn't change. He's yesterday, today and forever the same. He's an unchanging God. And today we learned about His virtues. And you can talk about them now. You can know you serve a holy God, a righteous God. A God who is truth. A God who loves. God is love. And the two that I end up with today, He is a merciful God. He didn't give you what you deserve. And He is a graceful God. My favorite, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, He says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, so that no one can boast. For by grace we have been saved. Brother and sister, dear friend, we're going to continue in our study as discipleships. We're going to look at the nature of sin, man, all of this. But we start off with God. He's an awesome God. 
He's a good God. He's a righteous God. And he is my God. And he's your God. And he loves you. May the Lord bless you. I'll see you on Sunday again. May he keep you and pray for us as we pray for you. And never forget to pray for Israel. Uh, God's got a plan with that nation. We see what's happening around the world, but we don't fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we know who you is, Lord, who you are. And Father, we also praise you and thank you, Lord, that we know now about your virtue. You're a virtuous God, a morally excellent God. Father, I pray that you will bless my brothers and sisters during this time in Jesus' name. Amen.